It's Tuesday on the 3 Plus 1 podcast. A huge thank you to all of our listeners out there. We have been having a continuous uptick in our listenership and our downloads. So we, I just want to thank everybody out there who's been listening. We're averaging about 600 listeners per week. And last week, we actually hit the 700 plus number. So thank you guys so much for tuning in and supporting us and listening. And we are going to continue to hopefully provide you with content that you can believe in, count on, and learn from. Uh, we, of course, I'm joined by my beautiful co-host, Tracy Bonner. What's up, everybody? And we are here with day two uh, with our very special guest, Rob Owens. Hello, hello, hello. Social media influencer, nonprofit owner, and model. So on Monday, we talked to you about your work in the industry as a social media influencer as well as a model and also as a physical fitness enthusiast and trainer. Today I want to talk to you about your philanthropy and the work that you do with your nonprofit organization, Dope Dads. Can you just tell us about what is Dope Dads and what caused you to create this organization? Yes, so um, becoming a Dope Dad, right? Um, I was blessed to be a father, uh, become a father. Uh, my daughter be four in a couple weeks. Shout out to Taylor. I love you. Yeah, so, um, yeah, so she inspired me, right? And what that looks like for me is uh, just embracing fatherhood, right? And DOPE is an acronym for doing our part every day, right? And so what I wanted to do was create a collective around men that are active in the lives of their families by creating uh, via content, community activations, and clothing. Uh, and the reason I chose those is because a few things. Um, with the activation or community activation space, I think that I want to, I, I know that I want to be a conduit of resources for sing, you know, single fathers or fathers that are trying to understand a landscape of you know, uh, maybe not being with the mother of their child or uh, how to be a better father to their child or a better husband to their, to their wives or be a better man to their family in general, right? Uh, you think about maybe young fathers who may have children at the age of 18, 19, right? Or even 20, and they're just kids themselves, right? Who do they go to? Who do they have conversations with about what it's like to be a responsible parent when they're just learning how to be responsible for themselves? Um, so that's one of the examples. Uh, and then through uh, clothing, I mean, I've often heard some of my closest friends tell me, man, first thought, you know, a lot of guys don't like to shop. The second part of it is they're... Like, man, I can't really afford to, you know, clothes anymore. Or I shop in strictly for my, my, my children or my, my spouse or, or whomever. And they or they don't have the resource because, I mean, you know, a child is a whole, not to be, just to be candid, it's a, it's a whole bill, it's a whole situation, right? And so just to be a resource uh, for fashionable, trendy clothing uh, that represents who they are in the, in the current stage of life and in, embracing that. And... Also, it doubles back to the community aspect of it, right? So it just kind of creates some connectivity when you see somebody with the brand um, that's representing it. There's just some common grounds, right? And then the last thing that I may mention of what is um, community clothing and, um, uh, sorry, I'm losing my words, um, content. I think that there is a huge opportunity to create content around um, fathers, right? I think there's a lot of uh, content that is Created around um, around mothers, but for for fathers, I think positive have positive content, content yeah. around fathers. Yeah, so seeing 
active fathers in our district, particularly for men of color, right? Humanizing men of color as active parents and lives of their children and their families. And then creating a common ground amongst all fathers, right? And so the, the overarching mantra is brotherhood through fatherhood. So whether you, whatever socioeconomic background, whether ethnicity, whatever your, your the, the common ground is your value system around your family, around your children. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that's that's really the, the premise of, of Dope Dads. So, you, you know, yeah, you stated that, you know, children are a whole bill, a whole situation. There are actually like multiple bills <laughs> that come constantly. I'm still a bill. So, you know, that's a, I think that's a very true, true um, statement. And when you talk about dope dads and getting this off the ground, what has been the biggest challenge you faced in getting this uh, mission achieved or getting this mission started? I know it's not achieved, yeah. but getting it up and going. Honestly, I would just say uh, maybe excuse me, some work-life balance, right? And just being consistent in actually doing the work. Um, everyone, you know, has starting power, but staying power is a different type of uh, art, if you will. So um, also just galvanizing people around it to, you know, so, you know, we're here, we're, we're two plus one, right? Three plus one. Three plus one, three. excuse me. There's three of us. One, There's, two. Uh, it's the three of us and our plus ones oh, are right there listening to us. One. Maybe you are on the commute to work. Maybe you are at work. Maybe you are after work, but you are listening to us on whatever device that you use. It could be SoundCloud. It could be Apple Podcasts. It could be Stitcher. It could be Google Play. Or it, we don't know, but we're glad you're here, plus ones. All right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, so... Um, I lost my thought. That was great. I don't even know where <laughs> I, where I was. Great. Yeah, I don't even know where I was headed with that. But um, but yeah. The big, you know, in terms of like the challenge that you're facing in launching a brand, because we have some. Li- I think that like. I've never seen in the course of my life in these uh, decades on this planet as many people out there who are very vested in the gig economy and people who are out here trying to build brands and then those who are trying to build a brand from building brands. It's, yeah. it's actually, you know, it's just really out of control in some ways, right? Yeah. Yeah. If I see one more ad come up on my Instagram telling me to pay them or download their free resource and learn how to build a, build a brand, I think I'm going to delete the, the app. But you're someone who's actually done the brand building. I know that you face challenges in that process. So for our listeners, what's, what's some advice that you can give them for how to really launch a successful initiative? Because Dope Dad's the whole brand. You have yeah. it. You just gave us the actual pitch for it. You, you, you have it up and running. What do they need to know? One piece of advice that's most crucial in that work. Build a team of individuals around you who support the mission and vision of your brand. That's key. And, and the consistency with that. Because I have my, my own nonprofit too. And I'm worn out because it's yeah. just me. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And it's hard for me to be consistent because I'm an actor and I teach and I do all these other things. And then I'm like, oh shoot, I got to get back to my yeah. brand. So if you build you a team, you can go and do other things while mm-hmm. they are helping keep your keep brand. Your and you pay your team. Because I'm going to be honest, I would have to say that for me, that's really one of the hardest things that I think that I would encounter is that, number one, I'm not willing to relinquish a lot of control over a lot of things about when I care about something. So if I have my own brand, I care probably a great deal about it. In addition to that, you know, I don't feel as though people are going to work for you for free. I think that's it's fair. That's true. That's so fair. you can, there are two things you can do. You can barter services 
okay, with that person. If you have something that, that they can utilize and you can use them in your um, organization. But also, team doesn't have to be several people. You can have a teammate. And that way, it opens yourself up to be able to kind of pay that person. I have a reader that helps me with my auditions. Well, when he needs an audition, I barter that service. But if he doesn't need an audition, then I say, I'll, I'll pay you. I can pay him every now and again. Right, right. So you can have a teammate who shares, the this, yeah, who shares that same vision that you have. And that way you can work, things, work those services out. Rob, what's the hardest part of being a dad? Mm. Mm. Um, I think the, the hardest part is maybe is, I know the hardest part for me is, I don't, know if it's the hard, I don't know if it's hard, right? But I think every decision that you make, you know, impacts a life that's beyond yours. And I mean, that's everybody, but if your child is just different. So I guess really making sure that I, I set my, my daughter up for success today for tomorrow. Um, so I would say that just always working through that mentally, spiritually, emotionally on how to best equip my child. Because before. those decisions essentially that you make now impact her in her future. Yeah. You a good dad. You a dope dad. A dope dad. And tell people and how just, they can find your dope dad shirts because my dad has a dope dad oh, shirt. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he wears it all the time. So tell the listeners how they can get a dope dad t-shirt. Yeah, so if you visit mydadnessisdope.com, um, that is also the name of all of the social platforms from IG, Instagram, and Twitter. So that's awesome. Do you have a dope zaddy shirt because i have no children but i'm often called zach Zach. summer 2020 okay summer 2020 just for me just for you no tank top not quite tank top ready just want a basic shirt basic shirt and you know a hoodie's always great too to cover up the fact that this body isn't tank top ready so we talked a little bit about a team and a valuable team now, Shonda Johnson has no team. She <laughs> is a former manager in Ohio of a McDonald's where a major altercation with the customer was caught on camera, and she actually ended up throwing a blender at a customer who was angry about waiting for the food that she um, did not receive. Well, I watched the newscast. You watched it. On this, and... Um, the customer was irate uh, for waiting 25 minutes um, to get uh, a drive-thru order corrected. Okay. And I guess she felt, well, I would feel the same way, uh, like she was being ignored. And so when she finally walks out of the <laughs> McDonald's and brings back all of her order and she's like demanding uh, her cash back, they get into an altercation. She throws the food at the lady, so she grabs the blender. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it's kind of like, I understand you're upset waiting 25 minutes, and, you know, you guys share some words, but throwing the food, I mean, I Her, You're saying that the customer throwing the food yes. was a catalyst yes. for so I can't a blender being thrown. Of how I respond. To, to being attacked. You, yeah, exactly. So... You might get a blender thrown at your ass, you know? You know, funny thing, I used to I used to work at McDonald's. I was a shift manager at McDonald's um, 
in high school and part of college. And so I, I, um, I empathize with the customer, right? And the funny thing is, um, I've never been to McDonald's and wanted to McFlurry, and the, and the machine always broke. Yeah. But I, it's become mean. I guess a yeah. major part of American life in the fact that the ice cream machine. Let me tell you something. It's not. You talk about McFlurry. You went to your experiences. I just wanted a caramel sundae. When I was growing up, and we would go to McDonald's first and foremost. Where I'm from, a McDonald's for me growing up were few and far in between. There were there were not as many McDonald's in rural Mississippi as there are probably now. And so going to McDonald's was like an actual treat. And I looked forward to the caramel sundae because I love caramel and I love vanilla and I was really excited. And the days that I would go and the ice cream machine was down was a very sad, disappointing day. So this isn't new, Rob, to McDonald's. The McFlur- the ice cream machines have been down since the 80s. Yeah, yeah. I, agree. I agree. Well, you know, in the manager's defense, she was hitting the head with a carton of milk. Yeah, she was so, hitting the head with the car and the chocolate, chocolate milk. So, so she, she grabbed the closest thing to her. Yeah. She said the blender. So, I mean, like I said, I cannot be responsible, mm. you know, for how I respond to how you but what? But all of this could have probably been avoided yeah. by de-escalating the customer yes. and explaining that we just forgot that you were outside. Yes. Simply saying, you're right. We will happily take back this order, or you can just keep the order, and we'll give you your money back. McDonald's owed that to that customer. I have had similar experiences, never throwing food, but I have literally paid for food that I refuse to eat. Mm. Where I'm saying, you can have it back. Uh-huh. You don't have to give me my money back, but you're trash. Your restaurant's trash. I'm never coming back. And I'm never coming back. But there's And guess also- what? I have never gone back. Even places where I have enjoyed the food. Yeah. There's Previously, it's a right experience. The old adage right. of... I'm a human, and I deserve to be treated like one. And I will say that, you know, in my neighborhood where I live, I have lived in my home since 2004. I purchased this home as a teacher. I still pay the exact same mortgage that I paid as a teacher, although I am no longer, you know, in that position. I've been, or been blessed with opportunities to go up a career ladder. And in my community, the mistreatment that I experience in fast food restaurants and grocery stores with customer service is egregious. I am, it's regretful to say and admit that I rarely will spend my money in this community because of that treatment. But when I have to for convenience and I have to for no other options, it never fails that I get a subpar experience. So I understand where this customer probably was, although her behavior is inexcusable. The organization certainly should have worked, I think, to de-escalate. I agree. And I don't think the blender is ever excusable. Well, you get what you pay for. Well, you they do. don't throw blenders. But this is a food desert. I live in a food desert. And this young lady in Ohio very well could have been in the same place. There is, I think it's understandable. But what isn't understandable is what happened on May 31st, 2014 in Waukesha, Wisconsin, where two 12-year-old children Waukesha, took a friend into the woods, stabbed her 19 times, trying to impress the fictional, non-existent, doesn't exist, Made up Slender Man. You know what's crazy? Is I shot a Lifetime movie called Terror in the Woods about this story. And I just could not believe that this is really happening with our kids. Right? Like, mm. how would you feel, Rob? 
your daughter hanging out with her best friends, her two best friends, and they plot. Like, these babies plotted. Like, 12 years old to hurt this girl. They had a whole entire elaborate scheme. They, yeah. they took her in the woods. They told her they were going to play hide and seek. They told her to bury herself and leave. They then stabbed her 19 times, leaving her dead, again, to impress something that doesn't exist. Yeah. yeah. And... They showed no real remorse after it was done. I mean, this has been this has happened a couple times, y'all, um, where best friends plot against another. And uh, in this case, she lived. She survived. But there was another case where two girls, they were 15 and 16, they killed their best friend. And, I mean, went on the hunt, the trail with the families to search for the girl. Called the parents and said, oh, my God, I cannot believe what's happened. What can we do? I love her so much. And one girl was an actress. And so she would fake these tears and all of this. And it was just, it was crazy. It was crazy. I, I, I just. The whole story, the whole scenario. Uh, the young lady, the, 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 the stabber is going to be in jail for, I think, 40 years. Put under the jail. So, you know, and unfortunately, the actual young lady who was stabbed says that she sleeps with a pair of scissors under her pillow out of the trauma that she experienced. So I hope that she gets better. I PTSD. hope that. But I'm extremely thankful that she lived and that, you know, her journey to healing is still happening. I hope that the journey for healing also happens for Summer uh, Zervas, who was one of the many young women who come forward with sexual assault allegations against your president. She was a 2007 season five candidate on The Apprentice, and she said that Donald Trump sexually assaulted her, and she now has new evidence to prove the fact. Yawn snooze. Tracy, you say it's a yawn snooze. Because, I mean, how many more women do do we need to come out about this guy, right? And, you know, after a certain period of time, I just feel like, what good is it, in my opinion? Like, I, we got to start calling the thing the thing now. Stop wasting time on these men that are paying you off. Like, how much is your soul worth to give up your sanity? Right? So, I yawn snooze. I, I don't have time. This weekend, I, uh, there, I mean, well, actually it was on Friday of last week, Harvey Weinstein went to a uh, com- com- uh, a show in New York where the comedian at the show recognized him and started to attack him there, but the audience seemed to be supporting Harvey Weinstein and started to boo her when she was talking about, we have Freddy Krueger and I missed, and, you know, she was hollering out, like, you know, you shouldn't be here. And the audience, primarily men, were supporting Harvey Weinstein. I feel as though a lot of people are supporting President Trump and giving these women who are coming forward really hard times, making it a lot harder for victims to come forward. Yeah, because a lot of them do the same thing. So, I mean, birds of a feather flock together. Would you, if you don't do stuff like this, would you support somebody that does? I don't support people that do crap like that. I don't hang out with them. The moment I find out you don't do something that aligns with me, I have to step away from you. You know what I'm saying? So... You know, I think that a number of Trump supporters, I don't think that a lot of Trump supporters sexually harass women. 
I don't I, I I would especially not the women, right? There's a large contingency of white women and minority women who support President Trump. And they turn the other cheek every single time something like this comes up and they defend him and they want to believe the best. And that's what's very baffling to me. Uh, I hate to even bring this up, but I have a good friend who was a member of my run group. We had an altercation on Instagram uh, regarding President Trump. She is a young woman of color and she vigilantly defends President Trump and feels as though criticizing him is a critique against our nation. And I do not believe that she would uh, in any way support sexual harassment or assault against women as she is a military service member. And I do not believe that she would support racism. But in her core, she doesn't believe that President Trump has done these things. Well, did she feel this way when Obama was being criticized? I mean, don't just stand up for the man because he's in your party. Stand up for what is right. If you don't believe it's right, stand up for it for everybody, not just this particular man. So I have a problem with that. Like I cannot align myself with anybody. I don't care what your affiliation is. Yeah. If it doesn't align with what's right, I can't do it. I'm still trying to understand why it almost seems uh, acceptable, right? Mm-hmm. I feel like this is something that they look at as like, oh, that's about right. Yeah. Like, that's supposed to happen. So like, what? Not, yeah, so what, right? Like, What else is but new? My, I guess my curiosity <laughs> is how closely does it have to happen into their circle of, or, of friends or whomever for it to impact them so mm-hmm. maybe they change their perspective, right? So if it was your sister, your mother, or your daughter, your daughter, would their perspective be different or, you know? But in most cases, a cause isn't a call, our cause until it does happen to us or some. Yeah. Somebody around us, right? It is sad. It is sad, and it is, I think, slowly becoming normalized. And that is my fear, is that sexual assault and misdoings against women and minorities in general is becoming the norm in American culture, and it's becoming exceptionally accepted in this nation where before it was considered deplorable actions. Hence why the rightful president of the United States, Hillary Clinton, called them deplorables. But now the deplorables are being seen as upstanding citizens, and it is, I think, very unfortunate. And this is weighty. This is a very heavy topic. And while we're on a heavy topic, let's talk about my 600-pound life. Heavy, heavy. So, you know, you guys don't, you don't watch Power. (laughs) <laughs> but do you watch my 600-pound life? I must admit that I've watched a few episodes of my 600-pound life. And Tracy, what do you think that I'm makes a, me think of you? I'm a docu-series person, okay? okay? I like to see what's really going on in the world. But um, So while you have amazing performances by actresses yeah. like Naturi on Power, <laughs> you're instead watching... Joe Wexler on 600 Pound Life. I'm really more interested in how these people get this way. Like, how do you get... It tells you the story. The whole story. So I I really like docuseries. So this is, for me, like a documentary as opposed to like a TV show. Okay, so guess how many episodes of My 600 Pound Life I've watched? Zero. I've watched zero. My niece, Kayla, (laughs) who I'm certain has probably never even heard of this podcast... Uh, she's a 10th grader, uh, is a big fan of the show, and she always 
talks about, you know, my 600-pound life. Why does she watch it? I've As never even, I, she's 16, so I've never she's even acquired right. to, to know. But I will say that she's on, she's somewhat, I'm giving her more credit now because I remember her saying that the baby was a great rapper. And I'm the like, baby. who are you talking? I mean, you've never heard of such a baby. But then, <laughs> now I, I, he's out yeah. with a phenomenal album called Kirk. Uh, and so I have, you know, I have to give her some credit. So on, so tell us about the show. because Enlighten me, educate me. What is this 600-pound life about? How do people end up being 600, 600 pounds? Well, it highlights people who are 600 pounds plus and who are looking to uh, lose their weight before their health con- health declines or before they pass away of a sudden death. Some people have died actually during the shooting of the oh. show. Um, but it just goes back to, to talk about how they got this way. Some people have dealt with losses in their lives. Some people have dealt with molestation in their lives. And some people are just like food was a comfort for me growing up. And so it's just really interesting to watch how they got this way and how they continue to stay this way with the people around them that really support their, uh, enable their habit, right? And I've often said, like, I want that 600 pound life kind of love. So what is that 600? Because I've I've seen a meme that, you know, many of the people on my 600 pound life have significant others. They have people that love them. They have husbands and wives. When when you say I love that man's dirty draws, I mean, they love, they dirty draws. Like, they wash their behinds for them and they I mean help them get into the van not just the van but the tongue they get out of the house yeah, some of them can't <laughs> they, some and of they, the they cook for them they cater to them unlike anything I've ever seen it's unhealthy I, you know but it's still like oh my god I can't even get a man to call me back like how did you get a man to move in and live with you bathe you Go take you everywhere. <laughs> Be your helper. How did you do that? Because I need to know. So that is a really good point. And unfortunately, Joe Wexler will not be having that continue with his wife, Sarah. Uh, according to Joe, he caught his big, beautiful bride cheating on him. Uh, Joe has been on this show twice, most recently on a Where Are They Now episode uh, that really focused on his marriage to Sarah. These are two very popular figures from the series. And he's found out that his wife has been cheating. Uh, he said that she's made some poor choices and decided that she just step outside of their marriage vows. And, you know, they are, they're, they're struggling. Um, they're no longer together. And that two of them met in an online weight loss group before they uh, joined the cast of My 600 Pound Life. So was Joe heavy as well? Yeah, yeah Joe, Joe was six hundred. They're both. They're Joe, both. Yeah, they're Joe both. Joe was heavy. What well, they doing then, together? Well, Joe was heavy, and he lost weight, uh, and then he met her. Uh, um, I remember seeing his episode. It was really good. It was inspiring too because he lost mm-hmm. a lot of weight, and then he got all like the uh, surgeries yeah, done, yeah. and then he uh, met, and married her, and you has know, he been able to maintain his loss? Yeah, I mean, he's still a heavy guy, but he's not 600 pounds. You know, I think for me, some people, they need a little weight on them. You start to look a little sickly. You find I need you to eat a biscuit. Eat a, eat a biscuit. Um, like, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah. On TV. They on TV. They can, they, they can hear us. So don't call out any names. In the way, yeah, don't call out any names and don't throw any shade, no shade. in the way that Michael Jordan threw shade at Steph Curry. Uh, last week, Michael Jordan said that Steph Curry was not yet Hall of Fame worthy. In a recent interview with Craig Melvin, Tracy, you're shaking your head. Yeah, because that's true. He's still in the game right now. You know mm. what I'm saying? So we can't call. Uh, we can say you have Hall of Hall of Fame potential. You mm. got Hall of Fame stats. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But as far as you know, you being Hall of Fame right now, you're still in the game. You still got records to break. You still got all this stuff. So just enjoy your now and get the Hall of Fame later. Jordan's the goat, and when the, whatever the goat say. Goes. goes. Yeah, so you guys both agree that and feel that, you know, Michael Jordan's the, the GOAT. Right now, yeah. Kobe, LeBron, Steph, but still, if you so you take those four great players mm-hmm. and give them to me back in order. Jordan, LeBron, Steph, and Kobe for me. And, and, and it's not because Kobe ain't cold. He is the mama, okay? But I just don't like his attitude. I didn't like his attitude. He, he, he. Jordan had a nasty attitude. No, but I'm saying when it comes to like his teammates, and I ain't like the way he threw Shaq under the bus. I ain't like that. So he was canceled for me after that whole. Well, movie. I'm glad you canceled someone. I did. Yes. You're a very forgiving person, so I'm glad someone got canceled. <laughs> Rob, give us your top four. Give us your four. I, uh, I'm gonna go Jordan. We going LeBron. Okay. We going Kobe. If we're gonna throw Steph in the mix for the time being, we can do that. But what I will say is You wouldn't even put him in the top four. No. Nah. No. What I will say you, is, would you take him out and who would you put in instead? Ooh. Magic yeah. Johnson? Mm. Larry Bird. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> we in Atlanta. Dominique Wilkins? I mean, we got some players right now that's ooh, on their way. Like, you got uh, James Harden, you mm. got Kawhi Leonard, you got uh, uh, Westbrook, mm. you got old boy from the Bucks. What's the, the Greek, the freak? You, mm. I mean, it's too, it's mm. too many good players right now yeah. for me yeah. to even. Oh, and old oh boy, uh, play for the Pelicans. Oh God, Zion, Williams. Oh, you know, yeah. Yeah. we just got so many young people yeah. right now that are going to surpass those old. Oh, maybe they will. Maybe they won't. I don't know <laughs> one name that you mentioned as a non-basketball <laughs> fan. So the fact that I don't know them means that they're nowhere near where they should be for the level of prominence that Michael Jordan has achieved. Yeah. I will say this, though. I think also just generationally, right, how we talk about millennials and zennials. I think that in their time, they were the GOAT for their time. I think that, I mean, I don't, I don't remember the exact time frame, but, you know, just like every five years or every yeah. new talent, just new, just the resurgence of, you know, yeah, yeah. talents come through. Just, they're just generational talents, right? And so I think everyone has a space, you know, That's true. in that That's ranking true. order. Yeah. In that you know, I would have to say that, you know, in my ranking, and again, I'm always, a, you, well, I don't know what the right word is, um, an outlier, but yeah. I would absolutely have to say that Kobe Bryant should be higher ranked than what okay. either of you have given him. Oh, my gosh. Number two? Kobe is hands down number two. Kobe Bryant was significantly better than LeBron James and still is that better is than not. LeBron James. I don't care about that LeBron attitude James that you don't be, like. LeBron I don't James, care about. Y'all got to understand LeBron James is one of the few players that can play all positions. Lace front. Okay. You know what? what? He had a mishap. We've got to forgive him for that. I don't want to get his hair. He cut it off. He let right. it go. And so he's the 
He's a he, he's a goat. He, I'm a fan of Kobe Bryant and always has been, and I am a fan of Kobe because he is intelligent. Yes, Kobe Bryant's an extremely smart man, and that to me that won my heart. So well, maybe, he should have used his smarts when he was throwing people under the bus. Well, maybe so. Uh, and maybe he will one day, but we won't talk about that on this day because this Tuesday's episode is over. Thank you guys so much for downloading our episode, and we look forward to you checking us out on tomorrow where we're going to talk a little bit about social media and go deep with some questions around some social media experiences. Everybody, thank you for joining us. Thank you. We out.